Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Jefferson Lilly, founder and managing partner of Park Avenue Partners whose mission is to create wealth for their investors, as well as to expand the supply of affordable housing. Now, how are they doing this? Through mobile home park investments. Now, we're going to discuss this fascinating niche that's providing an opportunity for accredited investors to earn returns in the range of 8 to 15% cash on cash return. Now, for those of you who may not know what accredited means, that's having a net worth of at least $1 million, not including the value of your home, or making at least $200,000 per year for a single person, or $300,000 combined income if married. Now, we know that a majority of you as our listeners do fall into this category, and you're actively looking for ways to put your cash to work earning a return in the most productive and profitable way possible. Now, if you're not there yet, this will be an excellent opportunity to expand your knowledge in preparation. Here at The Money Advantage, we're a community of wealth creators who are entrepreneurially-minded business owners taking control of our lives and financial destiny. We know that it's not enough just to make a great income. We have to figure out how to keep more of the money we make, then protect that money, and finally increase and make more through the right investing decisions. So that's why we've put together a three-step model to help business owners create time and money freedom. This conversation today will help you look at how to invest in a way that's aligned with your unique abilities, producing value for people, and putting your money to work, earning a cash flow return. So let's start off by sharing a little bit more about who is Jefferson Lilly. Now, Jefferson is a mobile home park investment expert and educator. He's responsible for Park Avenue Partners' strategic direction, acquisitions, and property operations. He has a track record that prior to founding Park Avenue Partners, he co-founded Park Street Partners, a similar partnership also focused on acquiring mobile home parks nationwide. Park Street Partners' investments are returning 8 to 15% cash annually to limited partners. Now, appreciation is expected to increase returns even further. Both personally and through his partnerships, Jefferson has acquired 25 mobile home parks in 13 states since 2007, totaling over $56 million in value. He started the industry's first podcast and the largest group on LinkedIn dedicated to investing in mobile home parks. Prior to beginning managing investors' money in 2014, Jefferson spent seven years investing his own capital in mobile home parks and consulting to high net worth families with interests in the manufactured housing industry. Earlier in his career, he held a range of consulting and sales positions with Bain and Company, Viacom, and Verisign. Jefferson has been featured in the New York Times, Bloomberg Magazine, and on the Real Money television show. He holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Now, without any further ado, let's dive in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, Rachel. Boy, we have Jefferson Lilly with us today, and this is really exciting. First of all, I love, the, love that he's named Jefferson after Thomas Jefferson, I presume. And, yes, uh, I am indeed. 
that's after our forefathers and our forefathers were really um, entrepreneurs themselves, business owners themselves. And since we are focusing on opportunities in real estate for people to become their own business owner, I mean, who else to have on the show today than somebody named Jefferson? So I'm really excited about this. That's excellent. Well, Jefferson, welcome to the show. Well, Bruce and Rachel, thank you for for being here. Yeah, my my dad was a history major and was going to name me either Thomas or Jefferson. And if I was Thomas Lilly, nobody would ever ask like, oh, how did you get a name like Thomas? But Jefferson Jefferson has both always elicited a lot of questions and frankly also got me beat up at the bus stop when I was a little (laughs) kid. You know, (laughs) It's got, has had pros and cons throughout my life. Well, I'm sorry for the disservice it caused you as a youngster. It is definitely a very um, upstanding name, though. Well, thank you. So share with us a little bit. So before you came into the mobile, heart, the mobile home park investment arena, tell us about who you were. What was your backstory? How did, where did you come from? Yes. Uh, well, so I, I grew up in Denver, uh, <clears throat> you know, went through public school, went back east for college and, and to get an MBA. Um, and ended up uh, basically at roughly age 30 uh, after school back east, moving out here to the San Francisco Bay Area and did the whole dot-com thing up, down, and sideways. I worked at three different startups. Um, uh, But frankly, towards the end of that, that was most of my 30s. That was about a decade at those companies. Towards the end of it, I began to think like, you know, may, maybe I should be investing in in something a little more stable. Um, you know, than mm-hmm. than high tech startups that seem to you know sometimes come and go in in just a matter of a year or two. Um, sure. Anyway, so I just started. You know, I, I'd always been a big fan of Warren Buffett, but uh, and a small uh, shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway, but just kind of decided to start looking for value in real estate and again to have some more stable uh, passive income. So. That was kind of how I how I then transitioned into this business. That's awesome. And you're definitely speaking our language when you say value. And I heard that as we were discussing right before the podcast as well. And we certainly know that dollars follow value. And as we provide that value, that's really where the investment truly lies. It's in the people and the value that's provided. So I'm hearing that loud and clear from what you're saying. So when people think of investing in real estate, I, I would bet that mobile home park investing is probably not the, you know, first thing on their mind at the front of their radar. So what were you looking for kind of besides that stability when you came across mobile home park investing and what, what, you know, really sparked your attention about that? So I, you know, again, I live here in in San Francisco. I knew I wasn't going to find value by buying anything in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably anything, most anywhere in California. So uh, honestly, I initially thought I would buy an apartment building, um, you know, roughly following uh, to, to the best of my limited abilities, trying to follow the teachings of Warren Buffett. I thought, you know, I need to stay within my circle of competence. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything about office or shopping mall or, you know, retail uh, properties, but I had always lived in a house or an apartment building. So I just started looking, not in California, but started looking out in, you know, like Peoria, Illinois. I'd, I'd go, um, uh, I think at that point I was searching primarily on LoopNet. Uh, LoopNet, okay. I believe, .com is a commercial property uh, uh, website. 
And, um, you know, I'd just look around for like an apartment building and there would be 99 apartment buildings in Peoria, Illinois, you know, at an eight cap, say, uh, roughly. And for your listeners that may not know what that means, that basically just means if you buy a property for all cash, no mortgage, you're going to earn 8% on your money. Now, mm-hmm. usually by buying it with debt, you know, you can goose up your returns. But anyway, so there were a lot of uh, apartment buildings there, you know, paying 8%. And then there was like one mobile home park at like a 10 cap. So again, 10% return on my money. And I thought, well, that's absurd. I'm not buying a friggin' trailer park. And I deleted <laughs> the search. <laughs> oh. and, and then I did it again, you know, in Lubbock, Texas and Omaha, Nebraska. And, you know, all these, uh, you know, non-California kind of Midwestern places where real estate is generally cheaper. And what I kept finding was this quirky little like one in a hundred niche within the broader multifamily marketplace called mobile home parks. So after maybe getting hit over the head, I don't know, probably five times with search results that kept showing mobile home parks were more profitable, then I finally started researching the business um, and discovered why they are such a better deal, such a better niche uh, than apartment buildings or office or retail or self-storage or, or anything else. So can you share with us then what are those reasons? What has made mobile home parks really that increased rate of return that you're getting in the real estate? Yeah. So so a couple of things. Um, so first off, just by virtue of there being so few of them, nobody knows exactly, but let's just say that that basically, you know, for all the, the, the sort of hundred multifamily apartment buildings and things out there, like maybe 1% of multifamily is mobile home park. So first off, it's just not well known. Um, and when it's not well known, you know, the, the quote unquote smart money isn't chasing it. So prices right there tend to be more reasonable uh, than uh, other, you know, sexier asset classes like, you know, developing a shiny new office tower in downtown Miami. That that kind of stuff attracts all the quote unquote smart money. And, and, you know, uh, I don't think it returns Jefferson. Say again? And sometimes the dumb money too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So- Uh. So just because these are such a small niche, uh, they're not well known. So again, prices are, are reasonable. Not everybody's chasing it. Um, secondly, uh, it is now really effectively illegal to build any more mobile home parks. Um, that is really interesting. And I, I saw that on your website as well. Any Any idea why? Yeah. So, you know, well, so so my question is, you know, when, when you first thought about having somebody <clears throat> on your show to talk about mobile home parks, what went through your mind first? Was it the guns, the drugs, or the <laughs> prostitutes? Right? So, you know, definitely, it, there's a tarnished reputation, or there's, there's a you know, it's, reputation. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not classy. It doesn't feel like a classy thing to talk about. But then when you talk about the returns and the cash flow, well, now all of a sudden you catch someone's attention who's really looking for that cash flow return. Yes, true. But if you are sitting on a city council in some Midwestern town, first off, you almost certainly don't come from a mobile home park. People that have the skills and the interest to run, you know, even a small campaign like that to get elected to the office, 
most of those people are, I, I would guess, at least middle class, if not upper middle class. So suffice it to say, the people on all those city uh, town zoning boards, uh, they don't come from mobile home parks. They may have never been in one. They may not realize that, you know, in fact, 99% of a part, uh, sorry, 99% of mobile home parks are just perfectly fine, uh, just decent, hardworking people uh, with, you know, without any significant criminal uh, element. I mean, certainly there's crime everywhere. There's crime in regular and even nice neighborhoods. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Wow a crime-free zone, but but they, they don't really have any unusually higher uh, rate uh, of crime, but they're viewed that way. Um, what is also the case is that, frankly, uh, there are a lot of families in uh, mobile home parks, uh, single folks, <clears throat> uh, single, you know, younger, you know, men and women tend to live in apartments. But when they form a family and they start to have those kids and they want to move out of an apartment building and have their own four walls and be able to park right in front of their house and have a path towards home ownership, uh, a lot of those, uh, a lot of that demographic moves into mobile home parks. Now, that means they're putting, they're putting their kids into the school system. But the land in a mobile home park is largely not improved. There are roads and pipes, but this is not an apartment building. So there aren't significant improvements to tax. So you have a city or county Mm -hmm. government that has a lot of kids going into the school district, but they're not getting a lot of tax revenue off that property. The mobile homes are personal property, just like a car. They have a VIN and title to those trades through the DMV. Um, So so that's that's another reason that, that, you know, again, the the cities have effectively outlawed. They'll tinker with the zoning or they'll play around with the density. They'll make it effectively not economic to develop a mobile home park. Nobody knows, but our industry's best guess is that last year, something like 10 mobile home parks were developed nationwide. So it basically oh. just doesn't happen. We've got a major affordable uh, housing crisis going on, and only like maybe 10 parks were built in the last year, while probably hundreds were plowed under and developed into some higher and better use. So the supply oh. curve is not just fixed. The supply curve is shrinking inwards, and there's no other niche in real estate that I know of where your competition is slowly but surely going away. But that's that's one of the other added benefits of mobile home parks. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out another. So most of our tenants own their own houses. Um, so what that means is that the proverbial leaky toilet and leaky roof repair is all on the tenants. It's not on us as the landlord. The tenants have to do all the repair and maintenance uh, for their home. Uh, now, gotcha. frankly, when folks are homeowners, they take much better care of, of their homes than they would, say, in an apartment building. Um, so it's not, it's not that we're shifting any unusual repair budget on them. They'll take better care of their house. Their repair and maintenance will be lower. Ours is lower. Um, so again, that that's uh, another positive. Uh, and then I'll just close with saying that because they own their homes, they actually uh, tend to not take them with them. They're, they're too expensive to move. Okay. Um, so 
if they need to leave town, they'll almost certainly just sell the home, say off Craigslist to someone else, and then someone else moves in and picks up, begin paying rent. So as long as that home is economically viable, uh, somebody is going to be paying rent on it. So in our world, the tenant really is the mobile home. It's the structure, not so much okay. the person in it. So, you know, our turnover might be on the rate of maybe 5% a year as some of these homes eventually end of life or, or move. But again, compared to apartment turnover, apartment turnover, I think, is generally in the 40 to 50% a year. So we've got an order of magnitude less turnover. And that just, again, means more stable cash flows and, and lesser turnover cost. I think it's just fascinating how you're sharing the, the idea of not even owning the homes themselves. I mean, I guess when I think about owning a mobile home park, I guess I just assume that you would automatically own all of the buildings and the land as well, and then maybe rent out the buildings. But it sounds like a completely different model where then you have not many new parks being developed. If there are new buildings being built, then those are probably replacing old or broken down buildings on current mobile home parks, it sounds like. And it, I mean, the stability is fascinating as you're talking about 5% turnover. I mean, yep. you, you can't beat that. Yep, you can. <laughs> and, and so, Jefferson, uh, are there cases where you would also own or at least pick up a few units? And then do you do uh, rent to own or lease to own or how do you handle those? Yes. So, uh, so yes, we do have, uh, we, we do own, I'm guessing, around 10% of our uh, housing, 10% uh, of the mobile homes on our properties. Uh, we've got right, right now, the, the, my partnerships have about 2,200 uh, pads uh, in about two dozen mobile home parks nationwide. Um, so of those roughly 2,200, I'm thinking it's around 200 of those homes that we own, about 10%. So often those will come with the park when we buy it. Um, okay. And of course, we, we want to own those homes. Uh, we don't want them to get pulled out. Uh, but what we'll do is, uh, of course, if, if there's a renter in there, they can continue to rent. But when they turn over, and again, as we all know, renters do turn over, uh, when that ho home comes back to us vacant, you know, at some point, likely over the first two years of, of owning the park, we'll then only put it back out on a rent to own basis. Uh, often, oh, okay. yeah, often for as little as a thousand dollars down, uh, and maybe you know, it depends on the age and the uh, and the value of the house. But I'd say on average, folks then might pay three hundred a month. Uh, say for another five or six years, and then they'll own that house. Um, so we look to build communities of owners. We, we really want to help. I mean, of course, we're a for-profit entity, uh, but we do also have a social mission. We want to help people become homeowners and not remain uh, you know, trapped paying rent. So um, we'll help them own the home. And, and at that point, honestly, once they own it, some of them do move it out onto their own land. Uh, but most people are happy then just paying us just the lot rent for the land. They own that home. They fix it up the way they want, add on a porch, paint it, whatever. Um, and it's really a win-win for everyone. 
So thanks for sharing that model. Is that the way that you are structuring the investment opportunity then through Park Avenue Partners? That's correct. Yeah. So we will principally be owning and investing in the land, but we do also, again, own, renovate, and sell uh, mobile homes. We won't rent them, at least not for the long run. Um, but but yeah, we really want to be uh, uh, really like parking lot owners <laughs> with, okay. with with these very permanent vehicles tied down into our, our parking spaces. Uh, but yeah, that's really the long run model. We'll probably never get a hundred percent of our homes off our books, but if we can, you know, get uh, get down to maybe only owning five percent. Uh, of the homes and, and you know, be 95% parking lot, um, that's still a pretty pretty good return for us. So where do you look for these properties and how do you, uh, how do you evaluate? We're looking really wherever the cash flows and that tends to be in the Midwest. Um, so, so far for the parks that I've bought, uh, Wichita, Kansas, is roughly our geographic and economic center of gravity. Um, but, but that said, you know, we, we do own coast to coast. Um, uh, I'm, uh, uh, own a property up in Spokane, Washington. I've got one over in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and one down in Lakeland, Florida. Um, so w- when we can get Midwestern pricing for a, uh, you know, in a coastal state, mm-hmm. uh, of course, we're happy to do that. But pr- probably 85% of our capital has been invested in, in places like Wichita, Kansas. We're in Dayton, Ohio. We're in Midland, Michigan, Superior, Wisconsin. Um, so sort of, you know, secondary and tertiary markets like that. Uh, that again are, are still perfectly economically healthy with a, a stable demand for affordable housing. So when I listen to you on Jay Massey and Jay Jay was on our podcast also, so we talked about yeah, different yeah, things. Yeah. You had mentioned that there's certain things that you look for with the property, which I thought was very was very interesting and very uh, insightful, such as how far away you were from a super Walmart. No, yep. no private utilities. Can you share some of that with our listeners? Yeah. So Walmart, we think, does pretty good demographic research. And when they're investing in a super Walmart, uh, we think in particular they, they've done their homework well. So if you can be within, uh, if you can buy a mobile home park, say within five miles of a super Walmart, we've found that you'll almost certainly do well. Um, that, that'll, you know, we don't need to have a booming economy, you know, like out here in Silicon Valley in California, we just need something stable. Um, so again, being within five miles of a super Walmart almost certainly means that the economy is stable uh, and that the population uh, is stable. Um we don't want to be in places. And fortunately, there aren't too many really bad places. But some of the places like, you know, Toledo, Ohio, Flint, Michigan, Detroit, parts mm-hmm. of Detroit, not even all, but, but, but places like that where people are really leaving town, not, not just that, uh, that the economy's bad, but, but people are leaving. Uh, you know, that is a, to, the, 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 
that's too much of a headwind uh, for for sure. us. Sure, um, and that and makes total sense. I mean, most kinds of real estate, you know, right. Um, so yes, yeah, so we want to be w- within five miles of a super Walmart. That'll almost certainly mean that the top line of our business, the revenue line, all the rents, uh, will work out. Uh, and then, of course, you got to watch your expenses. And the single biggest problem you can have in this business uh, is if you are on your own private utilities, say you have a well or bigger risk is that you have your own uh, septic system or sewage lagoon or packaging plant. Mm-hmm. Um, if something goes wrong with your uh, with your utilities there, that can be, and especially if it's on the back end, the sewer end is like 10 times more expensive than the front end, the water well. But if you have any sort of problem, heaven forbid your well runs dry again, or you need to completely redo your 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 method for treating the sewage, that can easily be a six-figure expense. Um, and so, certainly for people considering getting into the business for the first time, you know, we just say, hey, you know, don't do that. Only buy something where it's city water and city sewer. Then you can be fairly assured that your expenses will be at least reasonable. And then, you know, there are no guarantees in life, but you are much, much more likely to make money if your revenues are stable because you're in a good e- economy and you're on all city utilities, which means your expenses won't uh, uh, bite you in the you know where. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, that's great as far as uh, ownership. So let's get into the Park Avenue Partners opportunity. So you, re- yeah. you recently launched out, a, out on your own with Park Avenue Partners. Can you tell us a little bit about this mm-hmm. transition? And why it's going to, and why it would be better for investors? Sure. So, uh, what I'm doing with with Park Avenue Partners is uh, basically continuing to own and manage parks myself. Um, so, my my goal is to buy, you know, not a huge number. Let's just call it, you know, five or ten parks with this fund, um, and and again, really own and operate those ourselves. Uh, so for better or for worse, uh, <laughs> the, the property operations responsibility that that buck stops with me. Um, but yeah, so we're looking to buy uh, again, wherever the cash flows, that'll likely be in the Midwest. Um, so we are indeed raising money from accredited investors. Um, and uh, it'll be probably towards a 10 year uh, fund, although they're may be liquidity before then and my offering documents will talk in, in greater detail about that. Uh, Jefferson, do you, but, want, uh, do you want do you want to explain about the liquidity and also the uh, accredited or do you, would you like me to go through that or how, how do you want to do that? Oh yeah yeah sure I can cover that. I just want to um, people understand. Yeah. So uh, uh, having to take money only from accredited investors is a requirement uh, put on us by the SEC. Uh, it's not something that, that we would otherwise do, but uh, frankly, in exchange for being able to market my fund widely, for instance, being on your podcast, in exchange for being able to talk openly about this investment, uh, the SEC basically says like, hey, you can't be raising money from proverbial widows and orphans. <laughs> so, right. you know, f- fair enough. Um uh, so the requirement for being an accredited investor uh, is basically that either you have a $1 million net worth uh, exclusive of any equity in your house. So you have mm-hmm. to have other investments other than your house that, that are worth a million. 
Uh, or if you're single, you have to make 200000 a year. Or if you're married, you have to make 300000 a year. Um, anyway, so those are the restrictions that the SEC places uh, on funds such as mine. Uh, you can only raise money from accredited investors. Um, I'm sorry, there was a second question there? Liquidity. Oh, yeah, the liquidity. So we're not planning to sell the properties until the end of the partnership in 10 years. Uh, but that said, uh, after one year, this is, again, an SEC requirement. Uh, so none of our interests can be sold for the first year. But after one year, uh, then any of our investors is free to sell their interest in our partnership, uh, both to anybody they might find that would want to buy it or to, of course, to anybody already invested uh, in our funds. So um, that's why I say the liquidity isn't necessarily 10 years. We, we, we anticipate selling the properties and no guarantees, but hopefully for a profit in 10 years. But along the way, if somebody did need their money out, uh, then they can sell their interest. And, and we were generally happy to help make introductions and, and help facilitate that. Right. But for everybody, they have to know that basically it's not like you can just sell a stock or mutual fund True. or, or even take a, like an annuity, even take a surrender penalty and just get your money like very quickly. It, you're actually selling your shares in this particular fund. Correct. And, and it's not going to be uh, something that you can just do in a few days. That's correct. Uh, as I say, we are a, uh, we're not a REIT. Uh, those are publicly traded, you know, real estate investment trusts. <laughs> we, we are a REAP, a, a real estate investment partnership. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can't just uh, hit hit the sell key at your Charles Schwab account on, on your computer or Merrill Lynch or whatever and, and get liquid in three days. But, but at the same time, it's not completely illiquid either. Exactly. Yeah. But in exchange for that, we always talk about safety, liquidity and growth yep. when you're evaluating what you're getting into. And normally you can only get two out of the three. Right. So in exchange, in exchange for um, lack of liquidity, what kind of returns could people uh, expect knowing that there's no guarantees? Yeah. So um, my previous partnerships have, have returned uh, between 8 and 15% per year in cash. Uh, the 15 is obviously at the high end. Um uh, these partnerships do tend to do better over time. Uh, the partnership that is returning, quote unquote, only 8% a year uh, still hasn't still hasn't fully matured. We still, for instance, have vacant paths uh, and we are bringing in mobile homes and increasing our occupancy. And that'll still be another couple of years worth of work. Um, so, again, no, no guarantees. Uh, but but that's been my track record uh, so far. Um, the new fund, Park Avenue Partners, uh, I think will do, I'm going to say almost as well. Um, I kind of, you know, err towards the, the side of being conservative. Uh, basically, what's happening in the business is that more people are getting into it. Uh, and so prices are increasing. So I think what that'll mean is that returns will be somewhat lower. Um, but I think investors will still earn between cash and appreciation, say over that 10 year time horizon, 
folks should still be compounding their money somewhere between 10 and 15% a year. Uh, so we think that'll be better than, you know, for instance, the stock market uh, and, and better than most other real estate niches. Um, anyway, that's our best guess now. And again, for folks that are interested can go hit our website at parkavenuepartners.com and see the, the most recent sort of pr- projections and, and offering uh, materials there. Right. So Jefferson, can you kind of just, can you walk us through the process if somebody was an interested investor, yeah. um, kind of looking at when can they get in? You're talking about a fund. I believe that's each year, kind of what the timetable is, how much capital is required if somebody were interested. And then on your side, you talk about several things like having no management fees. So I kind of want to, I mean, yeah. this is a, a big question, but can you kind of talk talk through the whole process? How do you take investor capital? How do you get the financing? Then who owns the mobile home park? What are the investors um what what is that the funding process and then kind of how are you doing those improvements to the property over time so kind of what's the what's happening on the back end of of park avenue partners okay uh so great so that's five questions or something all in one. yes it is i had to pack them all in so we can okay. fit them in today yeah all right so we'll start with the fees this is definitely something that makes me different um, I am charging no fees, no acquisition fee, no divestiture fee, no management fee, uh, no personal guarantee fee, even though I put up my house, my two cars, and my own stock portfolio as collateral on some of the mortgages. I don't charge a fee for personally guaranteeing some of the debt that makes money for uh, my partners. I charge no fees whatsoever. This is pure alignment with investor interest. If my investors don't make money, I don't. If my investors mm-hmm. do, I do. Um, so I, you know, I certainly don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the other funds out there, but I've never heard of a fund that is pure investor alignment and charges no fees, but that's what I'm doing. Um, <clears throat> so as far as finance, so I'll raise money from accredited investors. Uh, the minimum investment is 50000 um, of course, there's no maximum. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we've had some folks uh, invest upwards of a million dollars with us, and we're certainly hopeful to tap into perhaps even some larger cap- pools of capital. Um, but anyway, anywhere from 50000 on up, folks can invest. Um, <clears throat> so my role then is to find the parks. Um, and again, I do run my own uh, podcast called Mobile Home Park Investors. That helps generate uh, deal flow. Uh, that's not our exclusive uh, uh, way of finding deals, but it is one thing we do and makes us pretty different. Um, but my role is to find the deals, then arrange the financing. Usually we borrow between 70 and 75% loan to value, uh, <clears throat> and we will borrow we've done it all. We, we've done seller carry. <clears throat> so obviously we're buying from the, the the person, usually a mom and pop that's selling us a mobile home park. <clears throat> we've gotten bank debt. We've gotten CMBS debt and we've gotten agency debt from like Fannie and Freddie. Um, okay. So we'll borrow from any of those sources, depending on the deal size, you know, one of those may be better than, than another. So we'll kind of be opportunistic and borrow, you know, obviously whatever is the best debt for that particular deal. Um, and then we, you know, we're, we're, 
again, I'm, I'm not in Warren Buffett's league, but I, I'm a, a basically a long-term buy and hold investor. Uh, mm-hmm. I view this still as being value investing. We're just buying cash flows in the real estate market. Uh, maybe not quite fifty cents on the dollar, but <laughs> some, some mm-hmm. discount to what what you know the the, the intrinsic value is. We we think, um, and then we do improve the properties. We're not passive investors here. We're active, so we will, uh, for instance, uh, uh, buy brand new or sometimes later model used homes and bring those in and set them on any vacant pads in our communities. Uh, so we get okay. expand the supply of affordable housing, we'll increase our occupancy. Uh, we will also raise rents, usually. Um, and then we will also, for instance, like, you know, figure out the water system. A lot of parks uh, are, are master metered. So the park owner just pays one big, say five or $6,000 a month bill for all the water for all his or her tenants. Mm. We'll, actually, we'll actually put meters on the houses. We'll bill the tenants for water. They'll conserve usually about one third of their water will, will, uh, has been wasted. And so they'll conserve. Um, and then frankly, that'll help us identify and find leaks uh, between that master meter and those mobile homes. And that's on us to repair. Um, mm. but so, so we plug a lot of leaks. We've cut water consumption in some cases by 50%, uh, in wow. some of our properties. So it's so cutting expenses when, then when what's right for your pocketbook is also what's right for the environment, you know? And, and so just getting a handle on the water system is, is again, another thing that we'll do to actually improve the profitability of, of the park. So that brings me to kind of another question. And I know Bruce kind of asked this earlier about where you invest, but clearly not all mobile home parks are going to be ideal capital, um, ideal cash flow investments. How do you find something that you know is going to be profitable and has that scope and ability to add those improvements? What specifically are you looking for? Um, so we will... Um We'll also run test ads. We talked a little bit about, you know, trying to be within five miles of a super Walmart. We'll also look at uh, just in general, how large is the town? What is the average house price? We like that to be 100000 and up. Um, and so, so if a property passes all those tests and we get it under contract, we'll then run a test ad. Uh, and it's I- ideally for one of the homes that's already, say, sitting vacant in the park. Uh, but we'll put an ad uh, up on Craigslist and just see how, how much interest we get. Um, and we'll then, you know, turn those leads over to the owner so they can, you know, follow up and actually hopefully get somebody in that house even before we buy the property. Uh, okay. But running those sorts of test ads um, also really helps us identify definitively how strong the economy is. Um, and again, that, that'll have implications for how fast we can infill the park with some of those new homes. Um, you know, we also do, for instance, a phase one. That's when you bring in an environmental expert to make sure there's no toxic waste on the property. 
Um, you know, we'll still go and, and talk with the local police department and make sure that the park isn't, you know, unusually bad from a crime standpoint. Um, or if it is, and so far none of our parks have been, but if it is, I think we've got some some good ideas on on how to uh, <laughs> correct those sorts of problems. Um, so, you know, we, we've kind of got a, a solid long page of diligence items that uh, we look at with, with each property. Of course, you know, I go on site before buying a property and we'll also try and meet some of the tenants and go try and meet tenants in some competing mobile home parks. And again, just really understand the, the dynamic of that park, why tenants like it and live there versus other parks. Um, anyway, so it's, it's a, you know, the, the overall diligence process typically takes about 30 days to complete. Um, and, you know, if something checks out all the way through, then we, we go through with the, the purchase and, and, and uh, you know, buy and, and operate the park. So as we're kind of looking at um, this as from an investor standpoint, then can you share just as we're getting close to closing here, what would the expector, the investor expect in terms of a return? How long out from their investment in the fund? And then you also mentioned your 10 year hold period and kind of what is, what's the end of that looking like? What are you doing at the end of that um, hold period for yourself? Yeah. So right now today I'm, I'm focused on fundraising, um, not on acquisitions. And that'll probably be for say the next quarter, <coughs> excuse me, but hopefully towards the end of first quarter of 19, I'll be making some acquisitions. Um, so, you know, folks could expect some return, uh, you know, just starting in another couple of months. Um, okay. No guarantees. Uh, okay. But, you know, historically, I've, I've always been able to generate uh, returns for investors, you know, roughly within the first two to three quarters that the fund is open. The fund may still be open and raising money. But we will have already made at least a few acquisitions and be returning some amount of money, uh, e even while we're still in fundraising mode. Um, and so then, you know, going into that that uh, first year after closing uh, the, the window for investment, um, you know, then we get the funds fully invested. Again, no guarantees, but I'm I'm thinking my investors should earn cash returns anywhere sort of between 6 and 12% cash. Uh, and then there will be appreciation on top of that. That may have to wait until towards the end of that 10-year hold period. But again, I think that investors would, would get you know well into the double-digit returns, uh, mid-teens type of, of IRR when you take into account not only the cash that we pay out kind of in the near term, but again, longer term um, uh, recognition of, of profits. So th there may be some large checks, you know, coming back uh, towards year 10 when we get the parks uh, sold. Um, okay. And we may sell those to individuals. We may sell them to some other investment partnership. Um, there are a range of, of, of options. I might buy the parks. Uh, we do have a mechanism whereby if I choose to do that, the investors uh, with me get to pick the appraiser. Um, and then if it's, you know, if it's a fair price, I might buy out all the investors at that uh, price set by an outside appraiser. I think the odds of that are low, but 
It's possible. Okay. Anyway, th- there are a number of, 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 of liquidity path, uh, ways to liquidity that this is not really an illiquid niche. Um, so that's that's the the, the over, overview of it. Well, it's just a, been a fascinating conversation as a whole, really looking at this unique investment opportunity for the right person absolutely needs to be the right person who is the accredited investor, um, who's willing to wait things out, but also is committed to seeing it through with you. Um, what would you say, I know you have a couple of different options for the, the A shares and B shares, and you don't necessarily have to go into that. I know that they can check your website for that. But what would you say to an interested investor who um, thinks this might be something up their alley? How would they reach out to you and connect with you and see if this would be a good fit? Yeah. Uh, so the website again is parkavenuepartners.com. Um, and, uh, and, or they can, uh, there's a phone number, uh, right there, um, on, uh, the website, uh, here, let me just, I should know this off the top of my head, but it's our new corporate, uh, number. Um, uh, uh hold on. I can grab that and put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's fine. And let's just edit this. Uh, okay. So, um, the phone number is simply 415-228-6900, um, or they can simply email me, uh, Jefferson at parkavenuepartners.com. And again, the, the PPM, obviously nothing can be sold other than for having somebody review first the PPM, uh, all of those legal documents are on uh, the website at parkavenuepartners.com. That's excellent. And you mentioned a podcast as well. Can you make sure that, um, can you share that again with our listeners? I want to make sure that they have the link and then we'll put that in the show notes as well so they can check you out on your podcast. Yeah. The podcast uh, is simply called Mobile Home Park Investors uh, and they can find it most easily by going to mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. That has a link uh, to the podcast, both on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, and that website also has links to our mobile home park investors group on LinkedIn. It's the biggest of its kind, about 4,500 members there. Um, the podcast gets about 16,000 downloads a month, which has been great. Uh, and then that website also has uh, our industry calendar of events, uh, upcoming trade shows and some earnings calls from some of the publicly traded mobile home park REITs. Um, anyway, so the, the, the calendar is there. People can download that into their phone or computer or what, what have you. So all that's mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. Excellent. Well, we will, again, make sure that we share those links with our audience through the show notes. And Bruce, is there anything that you wanted to share in closing before we wrap this up? No, I think um, the, the only thing, Jefferson, is just hit real quickly on you don't really get paid until everybody else is profitable. Yes. So can you talk about that at the, and how yeah, you so, yeah. So I get a profit split. Uh, and you mentioned briefly about the A shares and the B shares. So the A shares is just going to be a 50, 50 split with any investors that buy the A shares. Uh, the B shares pay a 12% preferred return. Uh, and then participate in 10% of the additional upside. Um, so I only get paid, again, if there are profits to split 
uh, per, per those two uh, waterfalls for the A shares, just a straight up 50-50 split, and the B shares, which pay again 12 and then get 10% of additional profits. So my investors always come first and I take no fees whatsoever. Yeah, this is, this is a wonderful setup and that's why we wanted to have you on. Um, and when we're looking, when I'm taking my own personal clients towards things, these are, these are exactly the characteristics that I look for. So thanks for sharing that. Great. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Yes. Thank you, Jefferson, for being on this show today. Thanks for just sharing your opportunity with our audience. And we look forward to future conversations and to what this may entail and turn into for, for our audience and investors as well. Thank you so much. If you would like to find out more about the three-step process that business owners are using to achieve time and money freedom without working harder or cutting back their lifestyle, Book a strategy call with us today to find out the one thing that you should be doing next and how that fits in the bigger picture of your journey to time and money freedom. Go to themoneyadvantage.com to schedule your strategy session today. Special thanks to our guest, Jefferson Lilly, for being on the show today. And thank you to you, our listeners. And in closing, always remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.